From RealGhostStoriesOnline.com, welcome to another episode of our radio program, Real Ghost Stories Online. Tony and Jenny Bruski joining you once again for another episode. Phone number to call in if you have a real ghost story, 855-853-4802, 855-853-4802. Or you can always write into us on our website at RealGhostStoriesOnline.com. would absolutely love to hear from you. Your ghost stories fuel our show. And of course, we thank you in advance for sharing the show letting a friend know about the show. And if you do that, if you share the show, uh, send me a screenshot of where you shared the show, and I will email you back a bonus episode of our show that only goes out as a big thank you for you sharing the show. You just email that to me, Tony, T-O-N-Y, at realghoststoriesonline.com. A bit of a follow-up here on the show today. Uh, This is uh, interesting about, we're talking of haunted houses being sold on the uh, the real estate market. And uh, we were talking about uh, if you have to essentially notify uh, the the buyers of the the home, of of the house being haunted. Well, here's the answer. Uh, And this was actually a lawsuit that was filed uh, in uh, New York Supreme Court. Uh, this ha- happened uh, 1991, okay. and this is uh, sourced out of Wikipedia. Uh, they held that a house which the owner had previously advertised to the public as haunted by ghosts was legally haunted for the purpose uh, of an auction for rescission uh, bought by a subsequent purchaser of the house. Because of its unique holding, the case has been frequently printed in textbooks and contracts and property law and widely taught in U.S. law school classes and is often cited by other courts. What does that mean? It's a good question, because that was fairly legalese. Yes, it was. Uh, I believe it it is a court case. Uh, The seller had undertaken an... It says the seller had undertaken to inform the public at large about the existence of poltergeists in the premises uh, to be sold. Uh... It essentially means the seller must inform the purchaser of a haunting. Okay. Uh, otherwise, they do risk uh, retribution. Now, it's this is nothing that's on the books, essentially. Uh, it, you know, when you are putting into the MLS, there's no law that says you have to list a haunting. But if you got sued and they could prove you had prior knowledge of the haunting, they can cite this case in which the court sided with the purchaser of the home as fact that you do need to disclose these sort of things. I think that's kind of backwards. What do you think? That's how most court cases work, though. I mean, it, things don't necessarily have to become law to have to be followed. Mm-hmm. Um, you just need to cite, essentially, a very similar case. Um, and in most cases, judges will, will go with that previous ruling. Um, because it, it could... If it was not that way, it could completely overturn all the other cases. When it's a very a blanket thing like this, and it can be fairly... I know, but I think the part I have a problem with is the fact that they they don't have to state it up front. But if you get caught later, it can come back on you. Yeah. I, I think it should have to be flat out, you state it up front. Sure. Or if the buyer does not ask, that's on the buyer. Because what did I ask when we bought this house? Yeah. So there. I think I think you need to be a little bit more educated when you buy a home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think I agree there. I think it should be one of those things where 
you it's on the buyer either they because you could have someone who doesn't believe and they're going to think you're crazy if you're telling me the house the house is haunted um that could be a huge red flag to someone if that's not anything they remotely believe in right um nor would they care but i could be you know detrimental to some business practices as well if that was what was going on so i think it is one of those things i agree if you were to ask about it um the previous buyer then should have to disclose it if you asked about it yeah if 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 they're aware of it and you know you know the thing is then you got to go into the whole issue of proving it previous buyer could completely deny it um but then again, with the, in the age of social media, all they have to do is do a little research on a Facebook page or something. Oh, look, you posted here on X night of weird noises in your house and you think it's haunted. You know, how well, did you mean you didn't know about the house being haunted? I would I would think if it's a problem for the potential buyer, it's something they're going to think to ask about. Otherwise, it's probably going to be somebody that doesn't believe yeah. that's buying the house and they're not going to care anyway. And that's just going to be a, a potential deterrent. I think there's a whole market for selling haunted houses, actually. I think at this day and age, I think you could actually be a paranormal real estate agent that markets selling haunted houses. I think I just created a whole new industry right there. Okay, and who is your target market? People who are into ghosts and uh, really enjoy having spirits in their homes. Okay. <laughs> I don't know who that is. I don't know either. But I, I think there's there's so many curiosity seekers out there. There's folks. It, anybody out there? Does anybody out there? Would you would you want to live in a haunted house? Let me ask that question. Would you want to live in a house that you knew full well was haunted? Would that be a perk of the house? Would that be an amenity, or would that be something detrimental to your buying decision? Okay, here's something. Okay, say you have to list that your house is haunted because you've had an ex- you know an experience. Mm-hmm. There should be some kind of professional that comes in that can give you a you know almost an MLS on who haunts your house. Basically, <laughs> are we pretty detailed? Are we dealing with a demon? Are we dealing with just a, a friendly spirit? Is it a shadow person? It's a shadow. There's some shadow people, but beware. Sometimes Satan visits in the middle of the night. Well, I think you know yeah. if if we're gonna open that can of worms, we might as well open it the whole way and know what we're dealing with and really get in detail. Yeah, like like. <laughs> that's a whole industry two baths you know two and a half bathrooms four demons one old lady there you go yeah that's that's how it should be listed there you go i think demonic real estate or just haunted real estate agent i think that's a whole show i just came up with an idea and someone's going to steal it and we're going to see it on tv very soon it will happen Oh, there you go. Uh, some other uh, follow-ups here uh, about the Poltergeist movie. We were talking about the other day. This is a Poltergeist movie. So a lot of stuff that happened to them while making the films. Four or five of the actors died throughout the movies. The mother in the f- first movie had stuff happen to her at home while making the first movie where picture frames at her home that were on the wall would always be tilted every time she would come home from acting. And a lot of people blamed the stuff that happened with the actors on the people making the movie because the first two movies actually used real corpses. Instead of fake props in some of the some of the scenes, like during the pool scene, really, I had heard that before too, where there were actual corpses that were used. It makes it that much more horrific. Yeah, oh. but the thing, the um, uh, Craig T. Nelson was in the first one, wasn't he? He was, and I believe the mom was Joe Beth Williams. Okay, and I, Craig T. Nelson, I mean, he just comes across to me in all the movies he's been in as like the most non paranormal. You know, he's just a safe character, a safe figure. So it's interesting 
to to hear that the actors and all that were haunted by it. But I'd, I'd love to hear his story on it. I would totally take him seriously because he just like I said, he comes across as kind of a very legit actor guy. Maybe because I watched so much Coach growing up. <laughs> well, and he's had a very successful career. You know, yeah. a lot of people that start out fairly early with a, a horror movie. That's it. Yeah, he has been and continues to be a, now a grandfather figure in a lot of movies. Yeah. And it's and they're good. They're high dollar movies. They are. You know, they do really well. Uh, another comment here. Ghosts. Uh, this is about we were asking today about uh, bathrooms and why so many ghost stories seem to have the ghosts coming in and out of the bathrooms. Yeah. Okay. Well, here's uh, here's what one of our listeners says about that. Ghosts are attracted to bathrooms since there's a lot of water there. They're able to draw their energies from water. That's why two of the most haunted rooms are usually kitchens and bathrooms. Okay. And a couple other commenters uh, on uh, on our YouTube page said the same thing about water being a very big conduit uh, for spirit activity. So. I've heard about haunted pools too. Yeah. Um, that would kind of go along with it. Yeah, that does make a lot of sense. Like, I know the Queen Mary has a lot of issues with their pool area. I don't even know if it's filled, but I know you can, like, tour that area on mm-hmm. the ship. Um, but for a while, I know they were having issues. I just remember the Unsolved Mysteries episode when we were kids that we watched, and it was very bad stop-motion animation where they showed little purple footprints walking out of the pool and some woman looking very startled off in the corner. <laughs> and then Robert Stack would come in. And the footprints were of a child. And then they have, like, splashing off camera. Yeah. but So, yeah. Haunted pool there. Uh, Paranormal Home Inspectors. Remember I talked about that show? Yes. The other day? Well, uh, someone has some insight into that. It's a Canadian-based show. They say, uh, Dennis says he actually sat through several episodes, and he says it's not all that bad. Theirs is a team of at least four investigators, uh, first of which is a home inspector who usually has or tries to disprove all the bumps in the night with simple reasons like expanding wood or you leaving your windows cracked, bad electrical work and such. Next, they send in a medium and a team of paranormal investigators to prove the initial home inspector wrong. I saw one episode. I watched the first episode the other day. How was it? It's not half bad. Yeah? It's, 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 yeah. I mean, it's, it honestly is not all that scary either. Like, okay. I think we could watch it before we went to bed. Really? Um, It's just kind of, it's like, one half is debunking it. The other half is the medium going in and telling you all the horrific things that they feel happened in the house. So you're kind of left at the end of the show not... You kind of pick a side. Okay. So it's not half bad. I mean, because a lot of the debunking makes a lot of sense. And I was kind of watching it more as a educational experience going, ah, I never thought that could be causing that. And I think it could be something that we watched a little bit more of to help with some of our letters that we get uh, where there is some debunking that needs to be done on some things, or at least not necessarily debunking, but some explanations or possibilities presented. Sure. Um, other than just you have a demon in your house or a ghost in your house. We say that a lot. That. Yeah. Yeah. Because some of these, yeah, I mean, I leave the letters that we get for the most part that these people believe what they're writing that these things they experience these things but there's some too where i go there's probably a logical explanation it's not always necessarily a ghost sure except for when you have like the apparition floating through your living room you know or shadow people or voices yeah that's not electricity yeah or the zombie clown or sure spider hand got to me that was a 
that yeah. was a great story. Yeah, I mean, but there are some where you kind of go, yeah, no, that's so much a ghost. I'd be game to watch it. Yeah, we could I should check that out. It's on. Uh, I see it's on Netflix right now. And no, this is not an endorsement of the show. Uh, I just thought, hey, another uh, paranormal show that uh, you guys may uh, enjoy as well. Uh, let's go to a caller. 855-853-4802 is the phone number to call. And if you have a real ghost story, yes. Yeah, um, my name is Naomi. My ghost story took place around 2006 at Washington, D.C. Um, it was a class field trip that we had taken for three or six days. We were brought to the Arlington Cemetery to take a tour um, to go see the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. Now, on the way there, we had looked around the cemetery and they brought us to the section where the Civil War soldiers were buried. Upon that scene, I had looked over while taking pictures and I noticed there stood a man in Confederate soldier attire. He had a handlebar mustache. He had a rifle hung on his, hung behind his left shoulder and he was looking at our group. And um, I wasn't the only one who saw this. There was a teacher standing next to me and we both thought, hey, maybe this is just a reenactment and people playing as the Civil War soldiers. So we just kind of stood there and, you know, watched him and I snapped a picture. He had tipped his hat towards my direction and just walked towards the cherry blossom tree near where he stood and disappeared. And my teacher had looked over and she said, did you see that? And I just shook my head as to what did I just see? Um, it was just really weird, but I will never forget that memory. I will never forget the day I saw him. And I wish I had the picture. I'm still looking for it to this very day. Um, I've never really told people about this story, except my mother, who of course has had experiences her- herself. But it was just something you never forget. Definitely not. Thank you for calling in and sharing that story. I have a theory. Yeah? Being the history buff I am, I know that um, after the Civil War, Robert E. Lee was actually considered a war criminal. And he was sentenced to live out the remainder of his days in a house that is there in Arlington National Cemetery. It's called Arlington House. Mm -hmm. And he was not allowed to return to his pre war home or anything like that and that's where he spent the rest of his life was he allowed to leave the house or was it like house arrest no it was basically house arrest in the cemetery yep in the house yep wow yeah i wonder if he was tortured by ghosts i don't know i'm wondering if that's who she's might be who she saw yeah i don't know about the handlebar but handlebar mustache but is the uh uh house still there is it tourable i believe it is i believe that it's um a national historic marker that's that's interesting. Yeah, D.C. is just kind of a creepy place in general. Um, that's the house? Yeah, it's quite a house, isn't it? Looks like the White House. No. That's one hell of a place to have house arrest. Well, I'm not sure if it was existing before or not, but that's where they, they Do they just put him in a monument? It's like, it, here, we have this monument. Go live in it. It's like a mausoleum in the middle of a cemetery. Here, this is where you must live. It was that or the Lincoln Memorial, and they said, uh, maybe you should go in this thing. You know, I think yeah. it was kind of a psychological thing because he's surrounded by so many markers of sure. people that died during that war. Yeah. That's my theory. Is that how the house looked when he lived in it? I doubt it. I'm wondering, or did they like build this monumental type thing around it? I'm after? sure that they added to it. It's like a shack back then. I'm sure they added to it, but wow. you know. Well, that's quite interesting. I've never been to that cemetery. Um, 
but um, walking around a place that just I, has tons of ghosts is uh, the Georgetown area. Um, and, and when I was there uh, a couple of years ago, I would, I, I would walk out to the cemetery across from my hotel and take a bunch of pictures. In fact, a lot of the pictures that we use on our show, on our site for graphics, are from the uh, the cemetery there in Georgetown. Um, it's just a, the history and the, the buildings and the architecture. You just feel... I'm someone who doesn't feel a whole lot of energy, but I felt a lot of weird energy just walking around those streets. So it'd be off the charts for me then. Probably, yeah. yeah. What, what's creepy is just so many of those those buildings in the Georgetown area are like re... They're, they're, they've been restored and they're actually active homes and businesses because real estate is very pricey there. Mm-hmm. Um, but every once in a while, which is bizarre because you, you just know like these small little townhouses go for millions and millions of dollars. But all of a sudden, you'll be walking down this row of homes and they're all connected. And all of a sudden, there's one, like, in the middle that's just, like, abandoned. It's abandoned. The windows are, like, you know, boarded up. And it's, like, it's so out of place because everything is so pristine. And all of a sudden, you got this one that's out of character. And I can't think of any conceivable reason why. Other than it's haunted? Other than there's, it's haunted. The, the, the shit out of it is haunted because, I mean... Why would no one be in some of these properties? Because they are all just so filled and so packed and get the one that's in. Well, it's a very, very highly sought after area. Very, yeah. I don't know. So, I mean, that's where I... I, And you just kind of get... It's a weird vibe, not only because it's so out of place, but I, I, I tend to felt like there was really a lot of negativity coming out of some of those... Really, that's buildings, interesting. You know? It's a, it's interesting. Just I took a walk one morning just around some of the neighborhoods and... um craziness just weird feelings from all these different houses and i I, I talked to a cab driver one day about oh yeah uh, the kennedy boys grew up right down this road and they played oh you know in the street here and this and that and just it's amazing Uh having it was my my first time there and just amazed by the who and what happened within three or four square miles of where you're standing in any direction you go just the history of our country that's right there it's it's kind of overwhelming i've never been there i've always wanted to go because i i'm a history buff so i think that would be a great thing to do yeah it's it's quite a place 855-853-4802 if you have a real ghost story you'd like to share with us patty writes in hey tony and jen i submitted a story or two before and uh, thanks for playing them and uh, reading them. I recently remember a couple of weeks ago about a hotel you guys were talking about in Kansas City. I live in Omaha, Nebraska, so I'm very familiar with this hotel and have actually stayed at hotels around this one, but not exactly in it. Your discussion about this hotel had reminded me of a story I saw back in September 2013. It is a video of a surveillance footage uh, of hotel in Wingate, Illinois. The video captures the activity of a ghost or entity screaming loudly, making all kinds of noise, and no one is checked into this room. You can hear the security team talking back and forth, confirming that no one is in that room. Later on, the guy who initially went to check that room finally opens the door. The uh, sight or result of this ghost was absolutely jaw-dropping. The ghost managed to turn the shower on, let it run, flip furniture over, and even... Uh, I even think they said something about ripping up carpet. The reason they went into this room is because of the neighboring rooms constantly complaining that the uh, complaining of the night uh, of of someone screaming and making the noise, which was captured in the video. I just thought I'd share this story with you as I remember the discussion of haunted hotels. If I was the in the neighboring room, I don't think I'd ever fall asleep again. 
Here's a link to the article in the video. Okay, click. Uh, I'm not too sure if uh, that... Uh, let me go back because I clicked it. It took me away from my story. I'm not too sure if that video is of great quality because I didn't have time to watch it. There are several different videos of the same thing on YouTube, but I just grabbed the one with the most views, assuming it was the best one. All right, let's pull up this video. Let's see what we got here. Screaming Ghost, room 209. This is a story of that video. Supposedly comes from security camera footage. September 14th, 2003. Paranormal event at the Wingate Hotel in Illinois. Uh, though this wasn't until September 2012 that it was posted on YouTube. Okay, let's pull that up. Okay, so while we're watching this, why don't you snope this and see if it's real? We're seeing a video. There's no one checked into that room. There should be nobody in there. Of the security guard right outside the door. It's flickering now in the hotel. away and it looks as if a light flashes out of the room and then there's a mist that comes out of the room and into the hall captured by the security camera well that's creepy as hell um and i'm not finding anything uh debunking it no all i'm finding are um more you know links to the video Not really finding any anything. I want to know what happened there, what happened in that room, or who died on the property, all that kind of stuff. Because mm-hmm. this is obviously one very pissed off ghost. Yeah. 
I'm I'm not seeing anything around to debunk it. If anyone knows anything more about that case or that haunting, uh, please write into us uh, eight, or call in or either or a website realghoststoriesonline.com is the place to do just that. That, that was a creepy, creepy video. Um, it, I mean, it did look fairly legit as well. It didn't look like one that was necessarily made up. And I don't know. More info, let us know about it. Let's go to another ghost caller to 855-853-4802, 855-853-4802. Hi. Hi, Tony. First of all, I want to say I love your radio show. Um, this is not really a story per se, but I did have a question, especially for those who live in Taylor's Valley, Virginia. Um, if they have ever heard of the legend, the Creekfield Woman. My father used to live in the South with a group of his friends in my grandparents when they were backwoods southern preachers and they used to go camping out near taylor's valley and um there was a legend going around that there was a woman back in the civil war area that was killed and being accused of witchcraft um the legend goes she was beheaded and her body was just left by the creek um another thing that had occurred personally for them was one of their friends named timothy yates um, had a picture done by the creek and there was a waterfall in the picture and him standing on a rock and next to him was another rock and in the picture um, looked like a woman's head with long gray hair and her eyes rolled back and just it, it showed up in the picture now mind you back in the 70s there wasn't any um, you know what we have now for elect- electronics to photoshop um, when the mother of Timmy Yates got the photos um, developed, it gave her a heart attack pretty much just to see that. And I just wanted to know if anybody else has heard of that legend. So hopefully I get a call back or an answer. Thank you. I have not heard of it. Have you heard of it? No, I've not. I'm guessing someone out there uh, in our audience has, though. So if you have more info on that story, uh, please write into us uh, at realghoststoriesonline.com or call in at 855-853-4802. It's kind of a nice little community we've built here of, of folks sharing their paranormal stories and asking their questions and then getting answers uh, literally all around the world. Yeah. So uh, it, it's kind of cool to, to be a bit of a conduit for uh, this topic and uh, and getting some of this information passed along. And I think at the end, we all learn something. And I, of course, at the end, also have more questions than answers. Well, but I think it's so good when you do have an experience to know that you're not the only one. There's something about that that, yeah. that just makes you feel better, sure. I guess. Yeah, I agree. And you can actually regularly, you know, listen to this show and share your stories and ask questions about the topic, not just at Halloween, uh, and get uh, legitimate answers from other people who may have, you know, been in, in you know, such situations. That's, I, I kind of like that. I think it's kind of... It's, yeah. it's, it's uniquely, I think, uh, our show. I mm-hmm. think that's what a lot of folks have been saying, too, uh, with your reviews and such. Speaking of reviews and such, uh, if you would like to give us one of those kind reviews, we'd greatly appreciate it, especially there on iTunes. If you can uh, just jump on there, give us a couple stars, give us uh, a little uh, paragraph or a sentence or something, just saying if you enjoy the show, uh, that greatly helps us uh, climb those uh, ranking ladders and more people finding our show every single week so we can deliver more great real ghost stories 
to you. Callan writes in, my wife and I moved into our house about five years ago. It is on five acres, and of those, there are about three acres of peach trees. The previous owners had clearly run a cockfighting ring out of their large shop and housed many roosters uh, in the outbuildings behind the houses. Nice previous owners. Exactly. I wonder if that's on the MLS. <laughs> hey, cockfighters, this is a perfect home for you. Uh, as we're moving in, they were moving the birds out, and over the next few days, we got to see what was in these outbuildings, which had been up until then locked behind a chain link fence. What we found was a bit disgusting and kind of creepy. Small barn was a maze of stalls. There was a building that was made for housing roosters in their individual stalls. It all had a very heavy feeling, and there was a lot of negative energy. We got some of our own chickens and housed them in the small in the stall structure, which I had gutted. We let them roam the orchard during the day, and they'd put themselves to bed before dark. I'd go out and shut the door behind them, usually in the dark. Each day, I'd go to turn on the back porch light, grab my flashlight, and stumble upon my uh, uh, stumble upon my bravery. I never felt like I was alone. I always was feeling like there was something or someone in the orchard just out of view. Night after night, I'd go through this ritual, half expecting to have something grab me and pull me into the darkness. Throughout the next six months, we took down the fence, cleaned out the barn and the other things. Each successive project brought a little bit of relief from the darkness, but there was no way I was going to go into the orchard by myself. It still seemed like something was out there. Finally, we tore down the last of the small cages and structures and finished cleaning up the barn, but the feeling still remained. At the same time, we were doing this cleanup. We were remodeling a house and raising an infant, an infant who seemed to only want to fall asleep after being walked down for half an hour. On a foggy day, it was a cold, rainy, foggy winter, and I was walking my daughter down in my living room in the middle of the afternoon. I was staring at our large window down a row of trees when I felt the presence walking down the row towards me. I could feel its dark energy getting stronger as it got closer. It was definitely the shape of a man, very dark, a faceless black shadow. I felt it brush by me in the living room and move through the house as if the structure was not even there. Then the presence was gone. From that day forward, the negative energy lifted from the barn, but I'll never forget the chills when I think of that shadow passing by me. I wonder if he was leaving on purpose. If the negative energy left after that experience, you know? Like it was too negative for the negative energy? No, I'm wondering if he was the negative energy and he just decided to leave. Oh, I see what you're saying, because the cockfighting was done. Yeah, and the the energy in the barn was done after that. Sure. So the the humans that were up to no good and essentially perpetuating the negativity maybe attracted the negative demon or entity or whatever it that was. That or vice versa. The yeah. negative demon attracted the behavior. Yeah. And then once they were gone, demon has nothing else to do. Yeah. There's only good chickens left. Right. And... <laughs> I'm thinking of the chickens from Muppets as I say this. The good chickens moved in and the bad ones moved out. Um, yeah, I mean, I could see that. If, if maybe if if he's not getting a hold on anyone, it's time to give up and move to your next cockfighting farm. Yeah, go find something else negative to do. Interesting. 855-853-4802. 855-853-4802 to share your real ghost story with us. We would absolutely love to hear it. Another letter. This is from Bridget. I go to a camp in Ontario called Camp Couching. 
as one of the periods there, we had amateur film. We're figuring out what it would be about, uh, and our counselor told us we'd never made a documentary before. Remembering the tradition of having a horror film at our first session, I suggested making a film on ghosts. A few days later, we decided to have a seance with a Ouija board in an old treehouse. So it all starts with the kids and the fun game of Ouija. Yeah. Three of us sat in the middle with the pointer. We asked a few questions, and while everyone was arguing over something, I noticed it spelling out something. I-C-U-T-Y-O-U-8. I was terrified, but the next day our counselors took us to an old haunted fire hall. I knew it was a terrible idea. Our group went down into the basement of the old creepy building. At first, nothing happened. That's when it got cold. We went to the girls' washroom, and a small painting uh, began swaying on the wall. We shook it off, expecting something to be behind it. Nothing was there. But when we turned over, the word cut was written in red ink on the back. We fled the room and into another. It seemed normal at first, and a boy peeled off a fake wall, and we found two nooses. A strange note was stuffed behind a pipe running up the wall. It seemed like a suicide note. When someone began to read it, it sounded like fireman boots stomping bears had started, scratching on the walls, and a mid-twenties man voice scared us out of the basement. I can't explain this encounter, and I hope it goes on the show. Can I say it? Go for it. Bullshit. Yeah. Sorry. I, uh... Thanks, Tony and Allie. Both spelled with eyes. I don't know. I, I just don't believe it. Yeah, I think we got a story from two teenage girls that wanted to get their story on the show. Okay, first of all, I have no sympathy for anybody that's screwing around with a Ouija board. No. And here's when you're going to write a good fake ghost story, if you want to write in a good fake ghost story. Here's where we lost you. Um, I kind of lost you. The word cut, I thought, okay, that could be a coincidence with the Ouija board. Somebody may have written something on the back of the the, uh, the, the painting, and uh, you know, it could creep out the girls. If that's where the story ended, and it was like, we thought it was really creepy, we was on the Ouija board, and that's the universe story. Okay, I would have bought it. I would have been like, okay, I could see that happening, yeah. and freaking out some kids. Don't necessarily... No, it was meant anything, but I could see it freaking you out and thinking, you know, it was a bit paranormal. It got a little bullshitty. Uh, when you went to the fake wall and there was nooses and the suicide note, that's where you went over the edge. You'll probably learn this later, but in creative writing, sometimes less is more. Less would have been a lot more there. Yes. So there you go. But thank you for your efforts, nonetheless. 855-853-4802 is a phone number to call in with your real ghost story 855-853-4802 is our phone number hi hi tony jenny this is barb from pittsburgh um the story actually is my mother's uh when she was a teenager uh, they lived in indianapolis indiana and she lived across the street from the cemetery and one day there was a little dog on the outside of the cemetery fence and there was another little dog identical to it on the inside and she said, everything the dog on the outside did, the dog on the inside did, like there was a mirror. She, the whole neighborhood was out watching. She, it was out there for probably 45 minutes to an hour. And finally, the little dog on the outside ran away, and the little dog on the inside just vanished. No explanation. They checked for mirrors. There was no mirrors. To this day, they don't know what it was. That's it. Bye. Like a parlor trick dog? I don't know. Maybe it was a lonely dog ghost. That's interesting. Yeah. We talk about pet ghosts sometimes. Yeah. For a long time, I never really 
believed in the pet ghosts, but there's a lot of stories where like, it seems to be that they do exist. Yeah, I think they have a presence, and I, d- I think there's fewer of them. I mean, obviously, every animal that ever lived is not going to have a ghost, or we would be overrun with that. Which is interesting that there's spay fewer and neuter op- your ghost. It's interesting because there's there's more of them than us, and yes, spay and neuter your ghosts, but just by sheer population. Yeah. And here's a thought: humane societies where they have to put so many animals down before uh-huh. their time. I wonder if they have issues with pet ghosts. I don't know. You know? I I think it would be hard to tell in a situation like that whether it's a new dog making a similar sound or similar behavior as one that they just put down. Yeah, because you're hearing so many animals making noise to begin with off in the distance. Yeah. It would be very hard to distinguish. It's not like it's empty at night and then you hear a lone dog in the corner barking or something. Huh. I think it'd just be too difficult to tell. But what about, you know, how pets tend to see things or mm-hmm. animals tend to see things? That would be really interesting how often you have the animals in the humane society that are looking at things that are not there. Sure. That maybe they're seeing the other dead animals. I don't know. Why do you think they're always barking? Because it's populated with other ghost dog friends and cat friends. Maybe so. I don't know. Interesting. If anyone has any insight into that idea... Uh, give us a buzz, 855-853-4802, or just uh, write into us, Real Ghost Stories Online. Jeff writes in, I've always had strange occurrences happen to me ever since I was a young boy, but a year ago I had a very strange occurrence happen to me. I have a history of medical problems, which led me to stay with my dad, who was taking to me, or uh, uh, who was going to take take me to the doctor out of state the next morning. I went to bed fairly early as I was very tired from the drive to his house. 3.30 a.m. rolled around and I was conscious but not fully awake of it at the time. I knew my dad was about to walk through the door and turn on the light and I had turned my head and saw a black-haired woman lying next to me. My original thought was that it was my girlfriend and so I thought nothing of it. My dad turned the knob on the door and the figure rolled out of bed onto the floor and disappeared by the time my dad turned the light on. It was then that I realized it could not have been my girlfriend because she was a two-hour drive away, asleep in her own bed. I climbed over to the edge of the bed, looked around to see if I could find this woman, and there was nobody there. My dad explained that he has had weird things happen to him in the house as well, so this wasn't the first time. My grandfather knew the previous owners of the house, and I asked him about it. Turns out that a husband of the wife that lived in the home and the wife was fairly short and she had long black hair the exact same thing that I saw that morning. She hung herself in the house before the husband sold the home and moved, and my dad bought the home. I didn't feel threatened. It was actually comforting. Maybe she was just there to let me know that everything was going to be okay, as I was very anxious about seeing the doctor that morning. I wonder if if you suffer from any kind of depression in life, if you still feel a need to be around people or or need to to deal with that in death you know maybe she was just lonely could have been i was gonna say it's a strange way of comforting someone (laughs) well yeah i mean how else how comforting can a ghost be yeah she wasn't doing anything spooky other than just being there sure sure i mean and as a human i mean maybe she you know you have to wonder how much the ghosts that are human 
are operating still from a human perspective of just being close to someone and that being comforting. Right. You know, thinking that maybe that is the way that she was comforting someone. But in reality, he just realized a ghost was laying in bed with him. But, you know, I'm like him. I think if I know who it is, it bothers me less. Sure. Yeah. I mean, now he was able to connect the dots. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, David writes into us, Hi, Tony. I was listening to the story a couple of shows back where a monk-like figure was mentioned. This made me sit up with interest because I had an experience when I was very young, about six or seven. I remember that I could not sleep in the dark when uh, into the landing and the stairs where I proceeded to go down halfway and sit there. I can say... I cannot say how long I was there, but I saw this figure in a brown robe come through the window and floated away towards me. I can only describe this apparition as a monk. I then felt I was being lifted up onto its lap and I was being cradled and rocked. You'd think maybe it would be a female, but something tells me it was male, I'm not sure. I did not feel scared or feel that I was in any kind of danger or feeling... uh, was more of peace and tranquility. There was no evil or malice at work here. I must have fell asleep all while I was there being rocked and don't remember getting back into my bed. All I can tell you is that this is true and I'm telling you it stayed with me to this day. This experience stayed with me to this day, which is, he says he's 52. Loving the show, loving the addition of your wife, Jenny, I think it enriches the program. Uh, Interesting. This happened in the UK, he says. I remember the story um, that he's referring to. It was a little... At the time, she was a little girl, and three of those figures would come in and bounce her on the bed and, and play. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm trying to find if there's any other... Anything out there on monk, ghost, and children, just to see. Yeah, I, that's an interesting topic, because uh, there's a lot of takes on that, where it could be... Something fairly dark, and then there's also the take where, I mean, this gentleman had where it sounded fairly uh, benign, if not comforting. Hmm. 855-853-4802 is the phone number to call with your real ghost story. John's writing in uh, and says, my story is pretty long, so get comfortable. My ghost story takes place about three and a half months ago. All right, let's get comfortable and let's get some more uh, different music track going here for this story. Uh, me and my friend Catherine had a job cleaning our local church that we didn't really get paid very well for. We just did it out of the kindness of our hearts. The church that we cleaned was about 100 yards away from the former church that was used. It's very old, built in 1923, the year my great-grandmother was born. Mr. Chester, a member of the church, always mows the grass for the church. He was also there that day. The former church was on the verge of almost collapsing. The concrete steps leading up to the church door were cracked right down the middle. The wood railings were eaten up by termites. As we pulled up in my car, we saw a very large black cat run into the woods behind the church. We were both startled because there's no houses or anything for at least two miles around the churches. The one thing close to us is a graveyard on the other side of the road from the church, so we then proceeded to clean the church. It's a fairly small church, so it didn't take long, for about 45 minutes to an hour. We then proceeded to walk out to the car. I got in the driver's seat while Catherine got in the passenger seat. We both sat for about 10 minutes playing on our phones. Catherine said, okay, let's go. I said, okay, then I proceeded to start the car. I looked up only to see the black cat standing on the steps of the former church with its tail raised and hissing. So then Catherine said, you want to go inside? We're both thrill seekers, so I said, sure. And then stopped the car to get out. We walked up to the church, 
tried to shoo the cat away, the cat stood its ground and never budged, so we had to go one at a time since the stairs were very narrow. We walked in the church and the cat ran in as well. By then we were both very agitated with the cat. We walked up and down the church from the inside of the church. It looked very small and claustrophobic. We saw the pulpit where the preacher preached. I walked up to the piano and played a bit of a song I knew. The piano was old and sounded beautiful. I then saw a litter of five black kittens and one brown tan kitten on one of the pews with a chandelier over. Many pieces had fallen off of it. The black cat then jumped up on the pew to protect its kittens. We thought it over and tried to get the cats to get used to us so we could take her home and give it and give her and the kittens a warm place to sleep since it was kind of cold. We got her to let us pick her up and bring her to the car and we luckily had a towel in my car and put Catherine, put, the, put it on Catherine's lap so uh, she could hold the kittens. While the mama cat sat on the floorboard, we had some time since it was only about one o'clock. We went to our local vet and gave the mother cat the show shots, and they said she was completely fine to take home. So we did. We went, our, uh, went uh, inside to make a spot in our pet room. Our house is a three-bedroom house, so we used a master bedroom for our many pets. We made room for the cat and the kittens and put down a couple blankets, and then a light over for warmth. Catherine said, I'm going to get the marshmallow and introduce them to each other guessing marshmallows another pet she proceeded to go outside under the porch to get marshmallow out of her dog bed and that she sleeps in i heard Catherine scream so i ran to see what was the matter all i saw was Catherine holding marshmallow in her arms except marshmallow was dead with blood coming out of her mouth Catherine said with tears rolling down her face look i looked inside the doghouse and saw in the cat bed four black kittens and one tan yellowish kitten the light kitten was the only one still alive we had no other cats. We had no idea that she was even pregnant. We then buried Marshmallow and three dead kittens in our backyard. We were inside and made coffee and then sat down on the couch to watch a movie. The mother cat came up to Catherine and snuggled under her left arm just as Marshmallow did. I th- saw Catherine let one tear roll down her face as she snuggled up with the cat. The mother cat still does this same thing just as Marshmallow used to. And even... Uh, white spot on her neck that almost looked just like the one Marshmallow had. We then proceeded to name the mother cat Hershey. I know this is not your typical ghost story, but I do believe that Hershey is a reincarnation of Marshmallow. I believe we've talked about pets having souls and things before, and I believe they do. Thanks, and I love your show. That's interesting to think that the soul of Marshmallow then kind of went into Hershey. It's quite a quick transformation of souls. It is, but I bet things are quicker for animals. But was it... I mean, the one cat was already alive. So it wasn't like the one cat died and the other cat was born. Or was it? Well... Oh, the one cat was born. There was a cat. There was one living cat. Yeah. Yeah. But what I was thinking, it was more of a... About, you know... It, more of a... Um, I guess a transition, you know, as the one dog died while they were gone they found the or I'm, I'm assuming marshmallow was a dog I'm not sure I think it might have been a cat okay in the dog cage okay I think the marshmallow pet died while they were out uh-huh. at about you know probably the same time that the Hershey yeah. pet came into the picture Maybe sure which that, is yeah it's that's a, what I'm thinking it was like a seamless transition yeah 
Yeah. And that's interesting, just how it all kind of plays out. It's kind of one of those where everything happens for a reason. Exactly. That's what stories. I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah. 855-853-4802 with your real ghost story. 855-853-4802. Did you have anything you wanted to add from the uh, the monk? No, everything that I found was just kind of a hodgepodge. That's going to yeah. take more research to okay. find anything really legit. Sure. 855-853-4802 is the phone number or write in on our website, realghoststoriesonline.com. Jonathan writes in, uh, my name is Jonathan. I live in uh, Folkestone, England. I've had many experiences throughout my life and only being 22 and open to the idea of ghosts at a young age, it's only fitting to tell them here for you. Back when I was too young to remember, I used to attend a daycare center and being your normal happy toddler until one day my mother said to me that she used to have talks with the owner of the center asking if an employee wore a white hat and clothes and she said no. Then nothing more was said for a few days until the owner was looking for me at lunch. The building was a three-floor attached house conversion because all uh, five other houses looked the same. The owner found me in the back of a room with my of my own and this was normal for me. I'd been told that the other kids... Uh, wouldn't go in for some ever uh, for some reason, but I would. The owner saw me playing, placing toys in front of me, and she thought it was all just a game. And I said, uh, I said this. This, I my one, you can have this one. This clearly unnerved her. She asked who I was talking to, and I replied, the lady in the white hat and dress. She swiftly grabbed my hand and led me out of the room. Many years later, I was told about this experience and was fascinated, so I did some research on the building and its past in a library, of all places. I found out that the building was a daycare center, and all the houses next to it were all one big building, a hospital. There was a record of a fire where most of the roof and the third floor were destroyed, and 34 patients and staff died, including uh, in the building, including nurses. The building was left, never used until it was turned into houses 10 years later in a daycare center on the end which happened to be where the old children's ward used to be this gave me chills but also a happy feeling knowing that I was being looked after when no one was around thank you for your time I have many other experiences that happened to me when I was growing up I'll write in again soon Thank you, Jonathan. That's interesting. That is very interesting. So it was like a ghost nurse looking after him. Yeah. In the part of the hospital that she probably used to work in. That's very interesting. Kind of creepy, but comforting. It's like, I guess if you're a ghost nurse and you are there to take care of people in life and you're trying to take care of people in death, too. So we're, we're thinking she died in the fire? That's my guess. Okay. I think that's what his assumption was as well. Okay. 855-853-4802 with your real ghost story. Matt's writing in. Dear Tony, I've been listening uh, to the show now for a while. I subscribe and wondered if this story might be of use to you. I'm very interested in the paranormal, uh, though my default setting is a happy skeptic. I'm the type of guy who would love it all to be true, but I just can't seem to see it. I can be a... Very uh, somber type of person, so the thought of some magical, mysterious world is a great hope for me, but despite several personal quests and many more planned, I don't have any evidence. 
I've written a book about my hunt for the truth on the paranormal, my first, and it will be out at Christmas if I can get my act together. Okay, so the story. I have to go back a few years to the period after 9-11 and all the craziness that followed. During this time, I traveled all over with work and socially. One of my friends lived about an hour from my home in Kent, and I would drive there and back, and he had, as he had no transport. Around 2003-2004, I was driving along a road in Essex, England, and about 2 in the morning. At the time, I was on my way back from the friend's house and was completely sober. My friend lived in a place called Stapleford Abbots out of the countryside. During the drive out there, it was daylight, uh, and I found my way there easily. But coming back, it was pitch dark and getting misty, and even with my headlights on at full, it was difficult to see. I took it easy as it was getting more foggy and I didn't want to have a crash in the middle of nowhere. Ahead of me, I suddenly saw something in the middle of the road. At first glance, I thought it was a person standing there in the road. I slowed and began to approach it, trying to avoid killing someone. The road is called Stapleford Road. I think I'll... I, I think, but I'll check before setting this on. It's very dark with lots of fields and trees and open, lonely spaces. You can imagine what it looked like in the fog. I didn't feel scared, but I was worried I'd hit someone, so I slowed down to about 15 miles an hour, approximately. As the car edged closer, I could see a line of mist across the road, thicker than the fog around it, and raising to a peak in the dead center of the road. I'd never seen anything like it before, and was nervous to drive through it as it looked weird. I could see it was just thick mist, but it stood tall, easily the height of a man, and very obvious against the thinner mist all around it. It most certainly did not look like a classic ghost or human being, for that matter, but it didn't look natural either. I didn't stop the car or anything dramatic like that. Instead, I drove forward at the same slow speed and passed straight through it. Sadly, here's the cliché part of the story, which just screams horror film, but I'll tell just like it happened. The moment I passed through it, I felt the uh, fight-or-flight urge in my stomach. I could tell instinctively, instinctively that I needed to move along quickly, and I recall seeing the hairs on my arms stand up and feeling that prickly fear that comes on suddenly when you get spooked. I sped up a bit and looked back in the mirror, and sure enough, it was still there. No arms or legs just, uh, or features, just a man-sized column of mist against swirling fog. Almost immediately, it faded into the pitch black, and everything else, as only my front and rear lights gave any hint of the road and surroundings. Nothing happened for the rest of the journey home. I obviously felt creeped out and a bit jumpy, I suppose, but once I was away from it, I felt safer. I forgot about it until I was watching an old rerun of U.S. TV show, Sightings. It was something about ghosts and spirits, and there was a man named Peter James who reminded me of Einstein a little bit. He had mad, fuzzy gray hair and a thick jet black mustache his real character and claimed to be able to speak to spirits of the dead and interpret ghostly appearances I didn't really consider that I'd seen a ghost but I was sure that what happened was pretty weird a lot of that stuff they were talking about on the show didn't seem too dissimilar to my own experience so I decided to try to ask Peter what he thought of it in all honesty I had seen the sighting show during its original run years earlier and remembered how entertaining I thought Peter James was then. I just had a feeling, despite how wacky it sounded, to be writing a ghost buster, Peter might be the type of person to give me a decent opinion. I found contact details and wrote asking if there was anything to 
that lonely 2 a.m. 2 a.m. encounter beyond the very scary fog. There wasn't a reply for days, and I felt a bit stupid having even raised it, but didn't tell his soul I'd written to him. By the end of the week, I'd written it off completely. However, but a week later, I got a message from Peter in which he asked if he could call me. I did give him my number. I was pretty taken aback, but the very next day, my phone rang, and it was none other than Peter James, the psychic, calling me from America. We exchanged pleasantries and had a conversation, nothing to do with ghosts, and I got the sense that he was really a nice fella. To cut a long story short, he told me to go back to the place during the days as there was probably something there that would help me understand what it was all about. He didn't outright say, yes, it was paranormal, but he told me that sometimes spirits present themselves on anniversaries or at locations of familiar familiarity or great tragedy. For me, the spookiest part of the story is that I didn't tell Peter where this had all happened, only that it was in England, in the countryside. The spookiness will become apparent as I explain what happened. I agreed to have a look and keep Peter posted, and I came away amazed that the guy had called me on his own phone bill simply to give me some advice. I never met him, and we only exchanged an email a few times after that, but he felt compelled to reach out to me after my message, and something, he said, still sticks in my mind. I feel there may be something trying to reach out to you. The sense he got was that it could be a case of a spirit in pain. Again, it was not specific or concrete, but Peter told me that what he felt was that his senses gave him at that time. Now, I have a saying, it goes, I don't believe in ghosts, but I'm frightened of them. Once Peter told me that, I was once again creeped out. My position on the paranormal is that I don't believe it's real, but wish it was. My life has been fulfilled by that passion for mystery of the unknown, but I've never found anything to convince me of its existence. We can all recount a ghostly experience here and there and a spooky moment, but who among us can say they know there is something to give it proof? I wasn't going to run away with the whole thing and kept an open mind. It was a buzz to connect with Peter, but beyond being a little starstruck to meet him, I didn't honestly think that the mist was a tortured soul, though I was nervous in case something was reaching out to me. It was quite a while before I thought about it and, proper, uh, and properly again, but the next time I drove out there to see my friend, I stopped near where I saw the mist. I couldn't see anything even remotely revealing about the area and headed off just a few minutes later. About 20 feet from where I'd seen it, I noticed something as I drove away. Now, I fully admit that it was not the exact location, but it was extremely close. On the side of the road was a small plaque. I couldn't read it from where I was, so I parked again and walked over. I can only paraphrase what it read as it was so long ago, but it said something like, Here fell Office Officer Gutteridge. And it gave a date nearly a hundred years or so when a policeman was killed in the road. As I read it, I half expected to hear the theme tune to the Twilight Zone or something playing. It freaked me out so much. There was a little slip road named Gutteridge Lane in honor of him, which ran in the crescent around the memorial plaque just off the main road I'd been driving on that night. The man was killed at the end of September, about 80 years or so earlier. I was also driving along the road sometime at the end of uh, September of 2003-2004. Even for a non-believer, a fascinated non-believer, I should add, I was struck by the notable details. 
I had seen a very odd form at that point on the road, less than 20 feet from a plaque of a grisly murder. I started to wonder if the plaque might just have been a general location of honor, or if perhaps what I saw was the actual spot. I tried not to be a drama queen about it and write up on the story of the police officer. It was really grotesque, but on the Essex Police website, they have a page about his murder. The killers had shot him in the neck, As he lay dangling, they shot him again, once in each eye. Apparently, when he was found, he had two gaping holes for eyes. It was a horrendous sight. I could barely believe it was a true story, but there was no hint of the horrific past in that posh part of the Essex countryside, save for a very small plaque not easily noticed from the road. Had I never bothered to write to Peter, I'd never have followed what reruns of old TV shows can do if the right person watches them. As a footnote of all this, for me, it's not proof of the supernatural or anything other than a series of rather creepy coincidences that I was never convinced I'd seen the policeman's ghost, and I'm still not. Even now, I'm not ruling it out, but I saw nothing which had a seal or real sighting and gave me a smoking gun. It was an interesting brush with the world of psychics and the brilliant Peter James, and I've always been very grateful that he entertained me and this silly note that I sent him, which I felt silly sending anyway. In the end, I was glad I did make it out there. It made me think. It made me think a lot, and always to keep an open mind. Peter died just a few years after our brief correspondence, and I felt very honored to have investigated a creepy country lane in Essex with him, even if it was only over the phone. It doesn't matter what I believe. Every time I drive past Gutter Ridge Lane, the hairs on my arms stand up, at the very thought of that cold, foggy September night when I saw the mist. I think Peter knew that it was a paranormal event and that's why he wanted the author to go back. Yeah, I think he sensed it. And I think that's why he sent him back over there. I think that makes total sense. And I also wonder, being that it was such a vague figure, if that had something to do with the fact that it happened so long ago. Like we've been talking about how the energy just kind of fades and dissipates over time. That does make some sense, where if it's, well, this loses its its gusto. I guess If so. you will, to, uh, to produce. I don't know. I think if you have that much evidence, I think it's about as close as you're going to get to uh, to proving to yourself that ghosts exist. I don't think you're going to have one that comes up, shakes your hand, says, hi, I'm a ghost. Here's my documentation. Yeah. Here's my birth certificate of death. I, I of think it's a ghost. I think it's safe to say that that was a, a paranormal experience you had. Yeah, I, I would completely agree. Thank you for writing in in a very, uh, very good letter. If you do write that book uh, and you get it out by the end of the year, please uh, please let us know. I'd love to uh, maybe have you on the show or something sometime to, to talk about uh, that experience and the other experiences that you've had that uh, are leading to uh, that book. Phone number to call if you have a real ghost story, 855-853-4802. That wraps up our show for today. Please uh, write in your ghost story or call in your story. Website, realghoststoriesonline.com. And of course, share the show. Let a friend know about it. Send me that screenshot of where you shared the show on Twitter or uh, Facebook, Pinterest, and uh, I'll email you back direct with a link to a bonus episode, an unpublished bonus episode. It's just for you for sharing the show. You can do that by emailing me, Tony, at realghoststoriesonline.com, T-O-N-Y, at realghoststoriesonline.com. So until next time, for Jenny Bruski, I'm Tony Bruski. Thank you for listening to another episode of Real Ghost Stories Online.